This is the Tan Report. I'm your host, Tan Trung. And this week's episode is pretty sweet because it's about a cake. I really love king cake. Mardi Gras is my favorite time of the year. And it is that time of year in New Orleans. Some people call it carnival season. Some people call it Mardi Gras season. Either way, there's going to be weeks of parades, parties, and plenty of food, including king cake. Come down here right now and you'll likely see people walking around with boxes of cakes in their hands. Can I ask what, what you got today? Um, sure, I have the uh, traditional Antoine's king cake and the one with the barbarian cream. If you could describe people's love for king cake around here, like locals' love for king cake, like how would you describe for people that don't know about it? Oh, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, it would probably be an 11. <laughs> if you don't know about king cake, we'll get into some of that in a bit. You know, it's a New Orleans tradition. It goes along with Mardi Gras. It, um, and now it starts like at Christmas time. It, it's hard to describe. It's just one of the things that New Orleanians love. You kind of have to be here to understand it. You do. For now, just know that New Orleans folks love them some king cake and are willing to spend two precious resources, time and money, to get the king cake they crave. For this story, I got to hang out at bakeries around town and talk with people about this craze for king cake. I met Diane as she was picking one up at Manny Randazzo's spot in Metairie. I was here earlier, and I'm actually bringing this to my mom's house. I was here earlier and spent $72 on king cake so my husband could bring them to work. And I said, why didn't I get any for mom? So... 100 bucks today on king cakes. Money well spent, I guess. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It's worth every calorie. Inside Manny Randazzo's, they were running low on king cake. I was near the counter about to interview Sally. I do whatever they need me to do. I answer the phone. I take orders for shipping. I move cakes. I vacuum. But she had to answer the phone first. Wait, wait. Let me get Manny Randazzo's king cakes. Yes, ma'am. Um, almost. We have Beth. How many cakes do we have left? Nine. We have nine cakes left, and um, there are people coming in the door. So I don't think today would be a good day. We, uh, yes, ma'am. We open tomorrow morning with a full bakery at seven a.m. How many? Okay. So what does it look like early in the morning here? It depends on the day. Right now. Friday and Saturday are insane. We have people out the driveway, down the block, almost to that restaurant over there. And and we get them in as quick as we can, in and out as quickly as we can. But, you know, somebody comes in and decides, oh, I'm going back to Texas and I need 28 cakes. Business is crazy right now. Um, we have such a short Mardi Gras season that we sold out of shipping before Mardi Gras January 4th. You heard Sally say it's a short Mardi Gras season. And because locals get very specific about when you can eat king cake, basically during the season itself, it just feels like they're harder to find. Limited supply for a limited time makes for a run on the product. I online ordered mine on January 1st. (laughs) Lucky you. I tried. I I couldn't get on there. Yeah. No, it's it's a rough time trying to get your hands on one. I met Emily at Dongfeng Bakery in New Orleans East. I am originally from the North Carolina, Raleigh area. I moved to New Orleans to attend Tulane Law School, and I stayed here after graduation. What was your first introduction to King Kick? Like, how did you get to know King Kick? Yeah, so uh, when I attended the Tulane orientation, it was uh, Mardi Gras season, and so they had King Kick for everybody who was there. Um, I don't remember what kind of King Kick they had, but it was probably like Randazzo's or something like that. 
Um, so that was my first introduction. I thought it was, uh, I don't know, I had never tried it before. It was really good, but it, it's not really easy to describe. Um, and then I have friends who are in the city, obviously, and so I've tried a bunch of them over the years. Um, and I think Randazzo's is number two, but Dongfang is number one. So what is it about Dongfang's king cake that you like? So I think as compared to the ones that I've tried, it's super moist. Um, they do their fillings and their icing really well, which I think is hard to get right. A lot of the other ones, like Rouse's, are a little dry or their icing is super sugary. But Dongfang, I think, has a good balance of like not too sweet, but you know, still king cake. Over in Metairie, I stopped by Antoine's Bakery, which has two locations, one on the west bank of the Mississippi River and this one on the east bank. My name is Ashley, and I am from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. So what, what brings you to, to New Orleans? Um, king cake. Okay, you got a lot of options for king cake down here. Mm -hmm. Why Antoine's? I think because it's a family tradition for us to always get the queen's cake, and so I've been eating it for 35 years. So I really like Antoine's king cakes, but I've also passed by um, Manny Rendinzo's, um, and I have two cream cheese king cakes in the car now, too. Okay, so you got Randazzo's <laughs> and you got uh -huh. Antoine's. You, you weren't wasting any time today. You're no. making this a really efficient trip. Yes. So what makes a good king cake for you, though? Like, what, what's the thing for you? Like, is it the icing? Is it the cake? It's the filling. The filling? Okay. I love... Um, the apple, the cream cheese, and the lemon filling. So I think it's the filling that makes the cake. The K-Wood Randazzo's, it's in Chalmette. Their king cakes are A1. They put a lot of icing in. I like icing in. <laughs> Their icing in is dense. I do like that, but I also like light and airy, and that's what I heard about their king cakes. Caitlin and her mom came to Dongfung's bakery hunting, but it was slim pickings by the time they got there. Okay, so all my family has tried them, and um, I just never got the chance to get out here to get one. And then, um, give me... That's Caitlin's mom shouting in the background, letting her know that they didn't have the flavor of king cake they were looking for. I guess we'll try it. Huh? We'll try it. We'll get that. You only got uh, coconut cream, cream. Huh? Yeah, I'm not a big coconut fan, but I'll try it. I heard everything's delicious. You gotta settle sometimes. Yeah, I know because you can never get here, them. You don't know what you're gonna they get. They have a place in uh, Saint Bernard that has them, um, John Furs on Parish Road, and then I'm never there early enough in the morning to get those either. So I am always missing everywhere I go. So is this so, your mom? This is sister? my mom. Mom, this is my mom. Can we talk to you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about king cake. So, obviously, coconut cream was not your first choice, probably. No. <laughs> I wanted original. I would say the cream cheese is really good. That, that's cream my cheese. personal favorite. Okay. So, if you come back, try the cream cheese. Cream cheese? I like the cream cheese. Okay. Some people don't. But. Okay. So, I was talking to Caitlin. I was trying to figure out, I mean, obviously, you're, you're from Louisiana. You're from around here, too, right? Mm-hmm. How, like, how would you describe, like, locals' passion for king cake? Oh, Can you God. overstate it? We can't wait for we king cake season. We have family in Texas, and we send them king cakes, cakes. for Mardi Gras season. So, yeah. I mean, like, everybody wants to get their hands on a king cake. cake. King cakes have been compared to cinnamon rolls before, but probably not by anyone born and raised here. No, it's, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's nothing not like it. No. no. It's just, it actually makes you feel like eating a party. You know, it brings back memories. Eating from a party? My, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's that's how I it's feel. It's just tradition. Tradition. I mean, you know, it's, 
everybody it's happiness just it brings on joy. a weight loss journey and we're all <laughs> bundled up on king cakes it's like a comfort food during this time period yeah. really but, okay but people get very territorial about king cakes like somebody will say like randazzo or I like antoine's mackenzie's like is my favorite yeah I mean, people get very territorial about it. Like, and I like you know, to try different ones, but okay. so far, the original Mackenzie's with just not all the white icing, just the, the See, yellow. See, I'm heavy on icing. She's not. Not. That's She's why this is for you, not me, because it's heavy on icing. Like, people get into fights about this stuff, or arguments. I don't want to say fights, but they get into arguments argument. about Who's it. got the best? They all good. Just enjoy, you know, just... Enjoy what you like. But let me ask you, have you ever won an argument about king cake? Like, no. Have you ever walked no. away and said, you know, I convinced him or her that no. the king That's cake the I past, like is the no. best? No. <laughs> it's a damn No, when you're a New Orleans native, it's just you like what you like, and you're going to get what you like anyway. That's why they sell out as much as they do. So, I mean, we just, that's why we've never, we've drove over here probably about, Six times and sold that, saw that sold out sign time. every time. Man, that sucks. Yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> so I think you got a sense of this king cake phenomenon. There's a lot of variety to this single staple of Mardi Gras. People definitely have their preferences and allegiances, and as you can tell, we all love talking about it. Considering all of that, you'd think somebody down here would have written a book about king cake, but that wasn't the case until just a few years ago. My name is Matt Haynes, and uh, I wrote the Big Book of King Cake. And then the next year, I wrote The Little Book of King Cake. Matt Haynes is originally from New York. He came to New Orleans in 2009 for work. June 9th, 2009 was the day that I got here with like a garbage bag and a backpack, thinking I'd be here for only two months, and here I remain. I was in AmeriCorps for about a year, and then after that, got a job at a uh, teacher certification program. And so I was doing operations for that. We, We certified kind of a new pipeline of teachers. For a guy who would eventually write something called The Big Book of King Cake, Matt's relationship with King Cake was previously one of ambivalence. So before 2017, my relationship was like, I don't really get it. Like, what is this? It's like kind of dry. It's sitting there on the parade route. I'd rather have this fried chicken than that king cake. 2017 was a pivotal year for Matt. He got fired from his job. He was in a relationship but got dumped. So a distraction was certainly welcomed. The being dumped happened. And then I was looking for something to kind of occupy my mind. And so I started to do trial. When, when the King Cake Party invitation came, I was like, okay, this is a way for me to occupy my time a little bit. Anyway, 2017, I get invited to this King Cake Party. And I was told the objective was to bring the best King Cake. And we're going to have a vote to determine who, who brought the best one. I'm a very competitive person. So <laughs> I uh, immediately went online and Googled best New Orleans king cakes, and I found probably like an Ian McNulty article, top 10 king cakes. And so, okay, all I need to do is try these 10 king cakes, and then I'll determine which is the best one. Put those in a spreadsheet, but then I saw just below the top 10 list was a top 25 king cake list. None of those 25 were on that list of 10, so now I had a list of 35, and pretty soon my list was like 144 king cakes. <laughs> and so I just started trying them, and I didn't get to all of them, but I tried 88 that year. Did you eat all, you said 88 king cakes? Yeah, that year I tried all 88 of them. You tried, but did you eat all of the cake? No. That's I, a lot. Yeah, I would have died. Yeah. Um, I think uh, <laughs> I uh, somehow lost weight do, like doing this, but I would have... You know, some places you can get a slice, but it's not that easy. And so I hosted like my own little king cake parties with friends. Or if somebody else was having a king cake party, I would go to that and try a bunch. And then like 
once I was posting it on Facebook or something like that. And so among my friends, people started to see I was eating a whole lot of these and they wanted to help also. So if they had an extra slice of something, they would bring it over so that I could try it. And so that helped a lot. Sometimes I had to buy a whole cake. And uh, if I really liked it, I would keep it for myself. If I kind of liked it, then I'd share it with everybody. A few months later, Matt made a big change in his life and headed to the Appalachian Trail. His plan was to hike from Georgia all the way up to Maine. I was feeling real bummed about the relationship. I kind of have a history throughout my life of when things aren't going well, to try to shake it up with something big. Uh, maybe just to show myself, hey, not everything's bad right now. And so the Appalachian Trail was just like, oh yeah, that'd be kind of fun to, to go walk for six months. I, I had no real experience hiking. The first night on the Appalachian Trail was the first night I'd ever like, done backcountry camping at all. And then I had to do it for 159 straight nights. Matt would end up hiking more than 2,100 miles. On the trail, he learned to simplify his life. All I had to do on the Appalachian Trail was wake up in the morning and walk. And the only decision I had to make was where I was going to stop that night, what time I was going to get up the next day. And so it was very easy. Physically not so easy, but like mentally just nice and peaceful. He met other hikers. Conversations would be had. Where are you from? What do you do? And during those conversations, Matt would bring up king cake and how he had eaten 88 different kinds. Before he knew it, people on the trail were calling him King Cake. How did that circulate? Did you present yourself as like a, somebody that loved King Cake? <laughs> like, I just feel like that's not like a common conversation that you have on, on a hiking trail. Yeah, so I think at the beginning of the first week or so, everyone's excited to know that there were trail names before I got on the trail. But also I, I noticed that everybody's being called these weird you know, nicknames. And I read about it and learned, okay, I guess everyone's got to have one of these. I can't just be called Matt on the thing for the next six months. I need some sort of name. And I also don't want to call myself, you can't like give yourself a nickname. I think some people do, but it's like giving yourself a nickname. You can't do it. And so I, I remember like maybe the fourth night or something like that. A lot of times, especially in those early parts of the trail, a lot of hikers will kind of camp out in the same area. And, you know, you can be a little social and you're kind of all learning from each other. And so I was just talking to somebody about how, yeah, I don't have a trail name and I'm not sure what it's going to be. I don't even know how to get one. And then they were just asking questions about me. And I had mentioned that I had just eaten all these king cakes because Mardi Gras had just passed. I was telling them about king cake and trying to explain the tradition to them. And then somebody said, well, what if you're just king cake? Matt was writing about his journey along the trail. He had a friend at the Mid-City Messenger, an online news organization back in New Orleans. When he was able, Matt would send back dispatches. My friend was like, hey, if you wanted to write um, every once in a while about what's going on on the trail, I think people would be interested. And so every two to three weeks or so, I would uh, go to a hostel along the trail and just kind of type up my notes. And people liked it. And, you know, more people were reading it than I thought were going to read it. There were a lot of people commenting on it. That gave Matt a bit of confidence. He always liked writing, but making a career out of it was something else. He decided he'd give it a shot once he got back to New Orleans. So when I got back, I remember my first official writing job was for the uh, Times-Picayune, the Advocate, and they sent me to a, I, I pitched the idea and they liked it, so I went to a Baby Cakes game. A quick note, the Baby Cakes were a minor league baseball team here. And my job was to try nine different food items in nine innings, and I, you know, didn't make a ton of money, but made it. I was like, okay, well, hold on a second. I just, that was a good one. I just have to keep coming up with these ideas. Early on, I was able to get gigs because I could come up with fun pitches like that, particularly when carnival season came around because I had like 
endless ways to categorize these different king cakes. Every carnival season, I would get more gigs than usual writing about king cake. It would always be like, okay, this is my, this is becoming a little bit of a go-to time for me. And so, um, and I could always like leverage the, he's the guy who ate 88 different king cakes and I had this fun spreadsheet and stuff. <laughs> and so um, it's the only time of year that I can get myself on TV and stuff to do. And then I could usually get articles or different little speaking engagements and stuff from there. During all of that, Matt was surprised there wasn't a book dedicated to King Cake. So he worked out a publishing deal in which he took on most of the upfront cost to make the book a reality. He studied King Cakes and went to dozens of different bakeries, interviewing as many bakers as he could. The book was originally just going to be about these beautiful cakes, and then pretty quickly I realized this is so much more interesting if it's about the people who make the cakes and like how they came about creating their specific ones. Like Cheryl Scripter didn't accidentally make this chocolate-filled king cake. She did it because she has this, these core memories as a kid of making chocolates for her dad and feeling so good about seeing him like it. And so from there, it makes sense that she might become a chocolatier. And if she's a chocolatier here in New Orleans, it makes sense that she might make a chocolate king cake. And just kind of, after I did a few of those, realizing, wow, there's like a story behind every single one of these. If I can just dig deep enough and ask the right questions, as an out-of-towner, as people will call you, like, I got to say, that's kind of ballsy to say, you know, I'm going to write a book about king cake. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't, think about, um, <laughs> I didn't think about how ballsy it was. It didn't feel ballsy to me. It felt like I have stupid ideas all the time. <laughs> and, um, and, so, and then usually I'm like, I have an idea. It seems smart at first. And then as I go, I'm like, eh, okay, abandon ship. No, no, thank you. And then this one, for some reason, just stuck a little bit longer. And I talk to some people about it. They're like, that's a really good idea. But how, they're like, surely somebody's done this already. I'm like, no, nobody's done it yet. Near the end of 2021, the Big Book of King Cake was published. It's 368 pages of King Cake content with photographs of more than 150 different King Cakes. Now, there have been books with King Cake themes, but Matt says his takes a different approach. There's plenty of stuff about king cakes um, out there. The difference between the Big Book of King Cake and some of those, I think, one, there's so many pictures that really shows off how beautiful the cake is, but also like it really gets to the bottom, I think, of how these different cakes came about and what inspires the bakers. It's really a celebration of those bakers instead of just a celebration of the cake. Like I remember doing the very first interview and realizing there's so much here just about how these bakers determine what's going to be inside those cakes or what dough they're using or like all of these things have none of it's by accident they all have stories behind them like dong fang king cake we take for granted as this incredible thing but it has this amazing story behind it and that story you know of refugees from vietnam coming here with very little it would be easy to think that has nothing to do with their king cake but actually when you're holding that cake it has everything the icing is a result of that the shape of it and the uh cuts in the dough that are so iconic those are because she was a seamstress and so she learned to uh, curve thread by putting little slices in the fabric she did the same thing with her dough and so like all of these cakes every single one of the 75 bakers the the things that inform them whether it's the country that they came from or their core memories as kids, um, or the ingredients they liked working with, um, those things all show up in their king cakes. And so I guess it's, a, I would say that it's a, a book celebrating the bakers who make this cake, and a book that celebrates a cake whose history goes back 4,000 years to ancient Rome. I'm sure even locals here probably wouldn't associate king cakes to Rome. Yeah, yeah. To I, ancient Rome. The history blew me away. I didn't know any of this and, and had read a lot about king cake and not seen a lot about this either. And so I thought, man, I got to find ways to get this into the book. And so whether it's in different section headers 
or in these um, kind of inserts throughout the book, I have kind of peppered in quite a bit of history. And so King Cake started, you know, with ancient Romans and they were celebrating their Saturnalia festival. So it was pagan pre-Christian Romans and they were celebrating that, you know, Saturnalia was around the winter solstice. And so they were celebrating that the longest, one of the coldest nights of the year had just passed. And so every single day after that, the sun was going to get a little bit higher in the sky. The days were going to go on a little bit longer all the way until we get to the springtime harvest. And so they were celebrating that the worst is behind them. Springtime is not yet here, but it's getting here. And so they would celebrate by oftentimes it'd be like a 10 to 14 day holiday. Courts were closed. Uh, schools were closed. People were celebrating with colorful costumes. They were drinking too much. They were eating too much. They were parading in the streets. Um, sounds a whole lot like Mardi Gras. Familiar theme. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and um, in the middle of their feast, there'd be this circular cake, you know, circular like the sun, golden like the sun, and it would have a little bean, fava bean, hidden inside. And whoever got the slice with the fava, meat, fava bean was crowned king or queen of the Saturnalia. And uh, instead of buying the next cake, they were sacrificed to the gods. So it was a little bit of a darker... Uh, a little bit darker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now when you, I remember, I'll never forget being in an office break room and seeing a guy trying to stuff the uh, baby back into the cake. I was like, man, if you only knew. If you're unfamiliar, king cakes used to come with a small plastic baby hidden inside the cake. The rule is, if you got a slice or a piece of cake with the baby, then you'd have to buy the next cake. Nowadays, though, most of the bakeries put the plastic baby outside of the cake because the last thing they want is to be responsible for someone choking on it. For those who like that tradition, they'll find a way to get that baby in the cake. Now let's get back to Matt. When Rome became the Roman Empire, spread out all across Europe from you know, the British Isles in the west to Bulgaria in the east. They brought their traditions with them. Saturnalia cake was one of them. And when Rome fell and then eventually Christianity took over, rather than getting rid of a lot of those pagan traditions, they tried to meld their traditions with those pagan traditions. Um, and so one of them was around the Saturnalia festival, which was the biggest Roman holiday. They put their biggest Christian holiday, which was the birth of Christ. And so they had the 12 days of Christmas. And on the 12th night of Christmas is when Christians believe that the three kings found baby Jesus. That's the epiphany. And so Christians on the 12th night of Christmas, they celebrate with a three kings cake, which is what we called it here in New Orleans. Three kings cake, which became king's cake, which became king cake. And it's something that exists here in New Orleans, but it also exists in Germany with the, they call it Dryconixkuchen, cake of the three kings, but it's the same thing. Just looks a little bit different. In France, it's called the Galette de cake of kings. In Spain, it's called the Rosca de Reyes, cake of kings. It exists all over, all over Europe. We think it's only here. I was gonna say here, I, th I think you're breaking hearts right now telling people <laughs> that there's similar cakes or you know versions of king cake outside of New Orleans because we, we say only in New Orleans you can get king cake and that's really, if you wanna be historically accurate, that's not true. No, well, a couple of things that do make our, first of all, ours is like the most wild looking for sure. Uh, <laughs> these three crazy colors. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the cakes share, they look kind of ring shaped and some people think that's meant to be like a crown and a lot of other places they'll, they'll do it. It'll be like a less sweet kind of dough Though the New Orleans cake, Mackenzie's, was not very sweet either. Um, and then there'd be kind of, in these other countries, they'll have dried fruit kind of on the top of the cakes that looks like the studs of a crown or the jewels in a crown. But we ended up with this very colorful powdered sugar and then icing and these crazy fillings. We also are the only ones who eat it for this long a period of time, which is a funny thing because one of the most intense debates, and I love this debate, are people saying, 
in New Orleans, you should not eat it before January 6th and you should not eat it after Fat Tuesday, which I, I think there's a really good point to keeping it in a condensed area so that it stays special. However, we also, it used to only be a thing that you ate on January 6th, even here in New Orleans. You'd eat it on January 6th. Whoever got the, a lot of times here would be like a pecan in the 1700s, early 1800s. Whoever got the slice with the pecan would be responsible for bringing the cake next year, the next January 6th. It was, only, it was a 12th night of Christmas thing, Christmas time celebration. That's it. It had nothing to do with Carnival or Mardi Gras. And so we've already kind of destroyed or bastardized the tradition ourselves. And so... I do think it's a, sometimes a little crazy that, and I think it's coming from a good place, and I like that there's people pushing back, but I think it's a little crazy that we say just because this is what the tradition was like when I was born is the way that the tradition should be forever ignores the fact that it's been changing for thousands of years up until you were born and will continue to change afterwards also. Antoine's bakery has been in business for more than 50 years, and it's adapted to some of those changes. They sell king cakes year-round not just during carnival season. Kim Antoine and her husband, Greg, owned the bakery. Greg is the baker and the creator of what they called the queen cake. Here's Kim. Everybody loves our queen cake. That is something he trademarked. The queen cake has five fillings. It has strawberry, lemon, pineapple, apple, and cream cheese. So you know when you were a child and you wanted, like you wanted apple, your brother wanted strawberry, mom wanted cream cheese, that covered well, everything. you went to the soda fountain and you got all the flavors in one cup. <laughs> there you go, there you go. <laughs> so that covers like everything. So he trademarked that like 40 years ago. So we're the only one who can sell the queen cake. Everybody loves our traditional strawberry cream cheese and cream cheese is always a favorite. And that Bavarian is catching up a lot because people love Bavarian cream. So we just have a nice variety. And we also have a Kringle that has caramel and pecans on top. And people love that. It's like a praline with king cake underneath. You know, the thing that I find interesting is that when I talk to people, the people who purchase your cakes, people get very territorial about it. They do. But it seems like the bakeries don't. I mean, y'all kind of just invite, it's, it's, it's kind well, of know, friendly competition yes, in a way. Yes, because we want everybody to do well. You know, it yeah. breaks my heart when I hear business is not doing well. That's not, we want everybody to do well. So our city is like full of love and joy, and we want everybody to prosper in this business. We don't want to see anybody that falls, no matter what you're selling. Right now it's king cakes. In about a month and a half, it'll be seafood, and it's all a blessing. My family used to own a restaurant. And on Friday nights, we owned a Vietnamese restaurant. Okay. But we didn't eat Vietnamese food at the end of the night. Oh. We ate pizza. Because you know why? We were serving <laughs> Vietnamese food all day. So I want to ask you, like, do you eat king cake during king cake season? Let me tell you, I not only eat king cake, I love sweets. Now the big guy, Greg, he does. He loves bread pudding because I think he should have been around so long. But I love my sweets. So I'm going to eat me a piece of traditional with some gumbo on the side and enjoy it. Yes, I'm going to eat king cake. There is a ton of options for king cake in New Orleans, but no matter how creative or unique they may be, Matt says they all have to tip their hat to McKenzie's. The three-colored sugar and the baby are both credited to McKenzie's. Um, there were some, I remember seeing an article from around 1900 of a king cake being made on a parade route that had the colors of Rex, but that was kind of like a one-off thing from what I could tell. Um, the first place to do it consistently seems to have been McKenzie's, which McKenzie's for a lot of a lot of New Orleanians, that is like the standard. Doesn't You can only get it now through a place called Tasty Donuts, who was a competitor of McKenzie's, and they ended up buying them out. But McKenzie's, for people who don't know, used to have 54 bakeries all around New Orleans, and they would sell 100,000 king cakes every single year. When my girlfriend was proofreading the big book of king cakes, she's like, McKenzie's is in this book like 
like hundreds of times. Are you sure you want that word that much? It seems repetitive. And I'm like, every baker mentions it. Every baker now either says Mackenzie's was the cake they ate growing up. And so the cake is meant to be like this, like that, or Mackenzie's, they didn't like it very much. And so it's supposed to be the opposite of Mackenzie's, but everything was kind of seen through the lens of, of Mackenzie's. And for people who don't know, Mackenzie's was like a, uh, there's no icing on it, no cinnamon in it, uh, no fillings. It's just like the, the barely, barely sweetened dough with like purple, green, and gold sugar. And I'm not even sure how it adheres to it. It's like so plain and dry. And one person at a book signing was like, uh, you know, an older lady. It's often kind of older people who loved Mackenzie's. And they, she was like, um, do you have Mackenzie's in the book? I was like, yeah, yeah, I started with Mackenzie's because it's so important. And she's like, yeah, Mackenzie's is my favorite. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't really like it that much. But she's like, oh, I don't like it either. But it's just nostalgia. <laughs> I, <laughs> that kind of makes sense to me. I understand. Like it doesn't, didn't maybe... A lot of people didn't feel like it tasted that great, but it's the it's what King Cake was. The originator, them. really. Yeah, right, right. For yeah, for for New Orleans, for the modern New Orleans cake, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Whenever King Cake comes up, people will start arguing like, "What is the best King Cake?" Mm-hmm. That wasn't the aim of this book, but was that something hard for you to avoid? Because I'm sure people come up to you at book signings, what's your favorite? Mm-hmm. How yeah. do you answer that? So I, I decided at the beginning, uh, before my very first interview, that I was going to answer it honestly. Because I think... Um, Good for you. Yeah, yeah. I think I was just going to say what my favorite was. Not that I don't love other king cakes. Also, if I only ate this one king cake, I'd get... That's not a very fun way to do it either. Um, but I think, to me, taste is... And I think I learned it when I was doing the 88 king cakes for the spreadsheet. Taste is so subjective. And so I got, sure. I got made fun of mercilessly for, um, <laughs> mercilessly for, um, for my opinions about what king cakes tasted good and what didn't. Also, like, I like crazy things. The, I love big fillings. To me, a Mackenzie's king cake is like, why would we waste our calories here? But for some people, they feel exactly the opposite, and neither of them is right or wrong. And so to me, the thing that you can't argue with, um, or at least I couldn't find a way to argue with, like, the, the story, the thought that the bakers are putting into the different cakes they make is really inspiring and interesting. And I wanted to hear more about that. So I, I do talk a little bit about taste, but not in a judgmental way. Uh, to me, it was way more fun to focus on like the stories behind the cakes themselves. Matt's favorite king cake is from a bakery called Tartine near Audubon Park. It's not too wild. It's cinnamon cream cheese, but she puts a whole lot into it. And it kind of like as it's baking, the cream cheese kind of busts out the brioche dough, and then you get these little cream cheese cookies that are kind of baking on the outside. It's so good. And it's not, it should be more expensive. It's not. Um, they should be selling out all the time. I think she just opened up a bigger, uh, uh, just increased her capacity. So they're not, you know, it's not even that hard to get one yet. You can ship them for not that expensive. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I like it. And it's also to, as a throwback to that woman who said that she likes Mackenzie's because of nostalgia, I don't think that's the same thing that's happening here, but also the first king cake that I ever had that I knew by name was a tartine king cake. I used to work right beside there. And so maybe there is a little bit of nostalgia too. Maybe that's what I think I grew up, you know, when I moved here, that's what I thought king cake was. And so it could very well be sort of, and I hate to use the analogy of like sometimes drug users you know you're chasing your first high sometimes like yeah. you know your first experience with whatever you were experimenting with whether it be 
drug, sex, or whatever, sure. you're sort of chasing that first feeling. Maybe that's where you're at with King Cake and Tartine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I think you can, to me, I would, dis- I would compare a Tartine King Cake to sex. I think it's that good. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is all subjective. Some people like Coke. Some people like Pepsi. That applies to King Cake, too. But you can objectively say that King Cake is loved here. Black, white, Asian, other. They're all buying and eating King Cakes. The people making them are equally as diverse. Norma Sweets Bakery is a Honduran bakery in Mid-City. And they have a guava cream cheese King Cake. And they said when they made it, they were really afraid that like people would be like, what, you're taking our tradition and you're screwing it up. And in reality, what happened is... You know, the second year after kind of word had spread, one day they open the bakery doors and there's a line wrapped around the building (laughs) and people are so into it. And like they felt, I remember the baker that I was talking to said that's the time, the first time he felt like he was really a New Orleanian because he took something that was part of this tradition. He felt like he found a way for his culture to fit into it. A year after publishing the big book of King Cake, Matt wrote a companion piece, a children's book called The Little Book of King Cake. His next project is sure to spark some interest and maybe some debates. He's planning on writing a book on po'boys. Back at Dongfeng's Bakery in New Orleans East. So if you're there early in the morning, you get one. You're not there early, you forget it. Caitlin and her mom, who you heard from near the beginning of the story, were about to leave. So how much, like, how much king cake do you think you you eat during the season? Oh, a couple of weeks. So, yeah, my cousin works at Kaywood. And she gets. Oh, that's dangerous. dangerous. That it is, is dangerous. Because she'll drop it off every day. Yep. Yeah, we eat a couple a week. I told Caitlin to shoot me an email and let me know what she thought of her first king cake from the bakery. Here's what she said quote, It was delicious. The coconut tasted like it was toasted, which made it more flavorful. End quote. I don't know if she's been back to get the flavor she really wanted, cream cheese, but if she does, she'll have plenty of company. In New Orleans, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio.